Blog Talk Radio. Well, hello. This is Be Above Leadership and our um, Blog Talk Radio show. And this is Ursula Pottinger, and I'm here with my wonderful business partner and best buddy, Anne Betts. And we say hello <laughs> to all of you and welcome to a really um, special episode um, entitled All of a Sudden After 20, After 20 Years. Dot, dot, dot. So, and <laughs> Yeah, so, when, so I think that's, that's a great lead in, Ursula. Sort of, well, what do, we, what do we mean by that? And we really have been thinking a lot about, I mean, we've been together for, uh, I think, technically more like 18 years, 17 years, something like that, um, and really wanted to reflect today about our own, how teaching what we teach and working with neuroscience and consciousness and coaching, how that has impacted our own state of being. Um, mm. Is that a pretty, is that a good way of putting it, Ursula? That's, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a very good way of putting it. And I think, uh, you know, even making that picture a little bit bigger, not only do I feel that it has impacted me personally and therefore it had a ripple effect, but I think our business partnership has really been based and solidly grounded in the work that we do. And I think it's, um, I hold it that it's, uh, it's the reason for the success that we have had. Yeah, I think that part of part of what I have so appreciated about this partnership is and and doing this kind of work, and I think sometimes it also may be the reason why there have been times that we've felt because we've really been in it for a solid seventeen years. Sometimes it's felt to us like you know, all right, already, like come on, <laughs> come on, and I think that we <laughs> yeah. really. Um, but we've been walking along with it, and we've made the audacious and maybe even arrogant attempt to basically try to, I hate to even say teach, but bring a model of consciousness to the world. And with an ultimately, I think, which comes from a shared commitment in terms of sort of looking around at the world and all of our experiences and saying, huh, the only thing that really works is when people shift their level of consciousness. Mm-hmm. That's ultimately the only thing I'm really that interested in impacting because everything flows from that, how we see the yes, world, how exactly. we act. And now we know even our biochemistry and brain structure, it's all related to that. And so for me, working on, you know, a better model of visioning or a better, you know, leadership feedback device, all of those things which can be really helpful was never enough because I want to go to the core of human beings and shift a level of awareness, vibration, consciousness, effectiveness, because then everything changes. Yeah, and I think that uh, the the really the gift of diving into this kind of work um, has been both challenging and you know uh, you know at times somewhat annoying because <laughs> I said to a, I said to one of my clients the other day. Uh, you know, once you get into um, our model of consciousness and then, you know, you add the neuroscience, you know, what happens is it should come with a warning label because after that, (laughs) what's the warning label? I don't know, but it's really after that, there is no more room for any kind of excuse because it's, you cannot, you can't blame it on other people anymore. You know, it's totally uh, self-reflective and self-directed. And um, and at times that's really I I know so much more now and it's taken away the side road of just going oh well that's was just their fault <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you're right so well let's, yeah you're right that is the warning label you know they say the truth will set you free but first it will piss you off and I've had many of those <laughs> yeah. moments so. 
So I think about, you know, we started, we started out, just those of you who don't know us, that will give you a little bit of a linear kind of um, history. You know, we actually started out with a shared commitment to service. And I had been doing consulting with, in the United States, what's called National Service, the, um, and particularly a program called AmeriCorps, which is with volunteers. We started doing training and coaching with them. We, we met as coaches. Ursula was my first coach. And as we started doing this more service-focused work, kind of training people who were committed to um, making a difference in the world, it, it just kept feeling like we needed a bigger container. Um, that's how I would see it, Ursula. How, what was it for you? Um, I think the, both you and I, uh, you know, beyond even service work and beyond even coaching, I think uh, from an early age, and I know you've, you've shared this with me, I have had a fascination about consciousness from a really early yeah. age. And there was a fascination about how do human beings take and what's underneath the surface of, you know, emotions and reactions. And I think that was a... So we found each other, uh, you know, along this common curiosity that we had. I think you're right. I think that the big, and I think many, many of our listeners and students will relate to this. It's this question that from the time I was probably a young girl and certainly in high school wouldn't leave me alone, which is at a really uh-huh. basic level, why are some people such jerks and others not? Why do some uh-huh. people find it easy to be generous and gracious and others find it so hard? Why does the world uh-huh. look the way it does? And, you know, I was probably largely trying to figure out some of my own family, some of my own reactions even. Why is it sometimes that I feel so, you know, balled up that I want to scream and other times I'm having a wonderful time? You know, uh-huh. who am I? Who is the world? Um, and I think that drew us both into coaching, but there's a deeper background of this curiosity and reading, and I was a philosophy major, which is all part of the same thing. So uh-huh. early on in our partnership, kind of the next evolution past the service work, and while we were doing this service work, is we started to see, and this had to do, we were both doing a lot of spiritual development work at the time. Ursula, you were studying to be mm-hmm. a prosperity guide, as I remember. Yes, I was. So, yep, yep. Yeah, I was a prosperity guide. And you and I were reading uh, books, I mean, endlessly uh, from various um, wisdom traditions and teachers that all um, sort oh, of informed, gosh. you know, informed uh, more of the curiosity. And I, I think what happened to me is the more I read, the more curious I became and the more questions <laughs> I were. <laughs> yeah, the more I read, the less I knew. Yeah, well, we were, yeah, reading, right. um, we were reading Abraham Hicks, Neil Donald Walsh, Osho. Um, man, those were some of the big ones early on. And this, this theme started to emerge that was not original to us by any means, but it was this theme that just kept coming back, which is, oh my goodness, really, people act out of love or fear. Really. Yeah. And that kind of hit us over the head, and we started doing some organizational work around that. And I remember the first, I remember dearly, the first pilot, which was with a wonderful group, um, uh, one of the service organizations in Minneapolis. We went in uh-huh. at a lunch. They, they, they basically... We said, we want to try something out, and they said, come on in, and we all had lunch together, and we had them do this very simple process where mm-hmm. we had them look at a, at, a, at a project that had gone well, and we just mm-hmm. asked them one question, who were you being? And we tracked mm-hmm. it. Were you, and we talked about sort of the energy field of love and the energy field of fear, and in this project that went well, 90% of who they were being were words that are aligned with love, like trusting, uh, generous, hopeful, uh-huh. uh, focused, all this stuff. And then 10% maybe was, you know, worried, a little fearful, but mostly this energy uh-huh. carried them through. And then the, yes. the reverse was true when we asked them about a project that failed. Who were you being? Uh-huh. Uh, we were being siloed. We were being uh, um, frustrated. We were 
scared, we were tentative, and only 10% above the line. And we really said, you know, this is, this is kind of what it is. Who uh-huh. you're being, as Ursula loves to say, who you're being are the results you're getting. And there isn't, uh-huh. there isn't wiggle room in there. There really isn't. Uh-huh. <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, I, it's really interesting. I still see the room. I still see the people. That day is like, you know, is really in my brain because I, I, I really think that that was the moment when, you know, this was a little research study of our own where we yeah. realized, yeah, we were, we were onto something. And it wasn't anything new. I mean, we tell with the last thing we would ever want to say is, oh, we thought that up. That's just the height of arrogance. It's not. It was just really, um, there's this wonderful quote by Neil Donald Walsh. He says, the purpose of life, God, in his book, because it's Conversations with God, says something about, it's something like this. The purpose of life is to experience what you already know until that experience becomes a felt reality. So what I think happened in that moment is that we, we and the people in the group had an experience of what they already knew on some level. And the uh-huh. only thing that we were saying is it became a felt reality to us. Not that it was uh-huh. any new knowledge that we were you know, smart enough to figure out and nobody else ever thought of, but it actually has become a felt reality. And it's this felt reality that we've been living into for 17 years. Uh-huh. And I think for the people in that room, it also gave them a language now to, it is sort of like, uh, you know, from a very linear perspective, it gave, it gave them an opportunity to kind of sort their emotions into categories. You know, I'll buy <laughs> right. their own too, but at least they could say, oh, all these emotions really live in the, you know, in the area of love and therefore that's just more effective and all this other stuff lives more in the realm of fear and it's therefore not effective. It gave them a language to look at the whole swirl and see and get an awareness of what works and what doesn't work. Beautifully. Yeah. And, and ultimately everything that we do pretty much just comes back to that thing. Is it above the line or below the line above the lines effective below the line is just isn't not long term. And everything from there has gotten, you know, we've, we like to say that what we teach is deceptively simple and endlessly complex. And, and Mm -hmm. what we've learned by, by then trying to live into this and make it an even greater felt reality is how freaking complex it is. And yeah. what does and that I, take? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, uh, not only after this event, but in the course of, you know, talking about the event and what we were doing, I think we realized that it wasn't as simple as just love and fear, that there were, that it was a lot more complex and a lot more subtle, that, that the, the, the subtle emotions of what we call fear, there were differences. And I think that yeah, was Yeah, they had different um, another flavors, turning yeah. Point. Yep, they have different flavors. Absolutely. And so sort of the, you know, kind of the quick bottom line to this is, yeah, we thought, we thought you know, Anger isn't the same flavor as fear. They're both below the line. Uh-huh. They're both in the broader category of versus love and fear. Gratitude isn't the same as excitement. They may both be in the area of love, but what's the subtlety? Uh-huh. And so the next piece on our path is we discovered David Hawkins, really got our heads into that, read everything he ever wrote, and worked with really trying to understand his multiple levels of consciousness And from Uh there said, if we're going to work with this in a way with organizations and with, with individuals, we need a, we need a simpler model and, and let's bring in, let's make it both simpler and actually more complex. So we created Uh the seven levels of effectiveness, which you can find uh, in the about tab on our website, theaboveleadership.com. And really began a process of broadening what this means and building on a lot of this early research by David Hawkins. And that's what we've been working in for about 10 years now is the seven levels, which 
um, were birthed from David Hawkins' map of consciousness, but have, as all children do, a, a viable and somewhat different life of their own. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Ursula, you know, we said this was going to be a call about us. So, what? Yeah. Before we go into neuro, <laughs> before we go into neuroscience, we'll go into the neuroscience piece because that's sort of like the next chapter. But we need to spend a little bit of time in this chapter. What mm-hmm. was what has been the impact, even without the science? What's the impact of the seven levels on you and your life? If you think early on, well, uh, you know the the power of having a roadmap that uh, describes seven states of being, three of which are not effective and four of which are, has really. You you like to compare it to the you know, the map uh, in a in a shopping mall and and I like to maybe use you know airport especially Atlanta where you can get lost um, and you know <laughs> I I, rem- I remember that I would get lost in life and and mm. what was going on and mm. as soon as we had the seven levels I could find my way through the different terminals and find my gate. Uh, rather than wondering and sort of being in the dark about what this meant and, you know, this big question of how can I be a better, you know, parent, for example. Well, it's such a big question. I didn't know what to do with it. You know, I tried well, to be you a know, good and loving parent. But, well, let me, you know, let me pause you for a second. Life happens. I, I just got, well, hold on. Let's come back to that because I just want to pause you because I'm loving, I'm loving this image of the airport so imagine everybody you're in an airport and there's no signage and so you stop at a gate right and it's atlanta and you know which is in the u.s if you're not from the u.s atlanta is insane it's actually fairly well organized but it is huge so many flights come through there from all over the world so there you are and you know you want to go somewhere you know you want to go to good parent land or you want to yeah. go to getting a raise land or, you know, mastering leadership or whatever it is. And you're in this airport and there's very few signs. And so you go to a gate and you even get on a plane, but the plane doesn't take you to good parent land. The plane takes you to my children hate me land. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good description. Well, right, you know, and is, you don't know. Right, right. And and the other thing, you know, I, I love this metaphor, you know, obviously you and I travel so much. I mean, it, 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 it does resonate with me 100%. You know, not only would it take me potentially to bad parent land, my, parent, my children hate me, but sometimes the plane would take me to um, I am in doubt land. I will never master mm. being a good parent. I don't know what mm. to do with this. Um, you know, and so, you know, I before I, yeah. I had a map to the airport, I would get on the wrong plane. You know, and I think when you sort of started out and you said this should come with a warning sign, I want to loop back to that because there, you know, this place that, that I was, I think, before the seven levels and, and, and also the spiritual journey, I think, in other ways, the seven levels are not the only things that give you a map. There are other things that give you a map. Um, but I think before that, you know, something would happen. Like my mother, I had such a struggle with my mother. Um, she's passed mm-hmm. on now. But she would, um, she would call me and immediately I would become stressed. And, but I didn't know what that I didn't like I just knew I didn't like it I didn't uh-huh. feel like I really had the tool I didn't know what I wanted instead and so what yep. I would do is I would get get on the phone and I would be what I now know is I would be standing firmly in the terminal that was the plane ride to fear <laughs> that's the plane that's the only place <laughs> This plane is going. It's just going to fear, and I'm trying to defend myself, and she's mad at me because I'm not the kind of daughter that I should be, and I don't pay enough attention to her, whatever it is. And I am just, and I can feel it in my body, but I had no idea that that I could go to a different terminal. I really didn't. Mm -hmm. Or what it would take 
to get, what would be the paths and the steps that would take me to the terminal of courage? So Ursula and I, or, you know, early on when we first started working with this, you know, we would talk about my mother and then just this idea of, well, okay, in this, where are you? Oh, I'm in fear. Well, where, what would it be like if you were in courage? Let's go visit this terminal. And see what the courage terminal looks like. It's a much prettier terminal than the fear terminal, by the way. And, what, and then I would practice. And I would start speaking from there. And then I, instead of feeling so victimized, I started feeling proud of myself. And, and it gave me this choice because it helped me see where I was and that there was another place to go. And that has been, that's been one of, I think, probably the biggest gift of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it's uh, it 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 gave me freedom. It gave me freedom to choose um, which terminal to go to, which plane ride to uh, to to buy a ticket to. I mean, it's ga- it gave me choice. While before, it felt like I'm just running around like a chicken with my head cut off. <laughs> well, you know what it feel what it feels like. It's interesting, and I think this is how I would see the world from the the, the lower levels are hopelessness, fear, and frustration. And in fear, it didn't even feel like like I'm just loving this metaphor. It would feel like my mother was putting me in that terminal. Like I didn't go here; ah. she did it. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, if yeah, I yeah. was mad, you know, someone else gave me these tickets and now my only choice is to be mad. And, and it's like, wait a minute, I am the captain of my life. I'm yes. experiencing, we'll talk a little more about this as we get more into the neuroscience, but okay, I am experiencing an emotion and it feels like she's the cause of that, but I do have a choice. Yeah. And that's yeah. freedom. No, this is, this is really uh, this is really good. I mean, you mentioned earlier on that um, I became a prosperity guide, um, and it's it's really interesting. One of the uh, sort of terminals uh, in my life, my fear terminals, has been named, you know carried the name money, and mm. uh, I I realized that early on, uh, you know, when I became a coach, you know, running a business, and you know, I was always in the terminal of fear around money. And uh, then came the seven levels. And what was interesting was that when I got out of that terminal and could at least go to courage, and it took me years before I managed to get a better plane ride, you know, in the engagement level. But in courage, I could actually see that my results suddenly became different. And that was so motivating. You know, not only did we have this map to the terminal, but the the rides were different. They created different, you know, experiences. Well, it's like you know, you go you go to fear. If you're in the fear, well, maybe we need to stop. <laughs> you, you know, y'all just let <laughs> us know if we've killed this metaphor. But I want to say, if I'm on the plane to fear and I land in that country, the country of fear is not very nice. It's not, it's not a mm-hmm. nice place to be. The water is dirty and the people are unhappy. And, and the plane ride that takes you to engagement, that's a different place to be. You know, one mm-hmm. of the things that we talk about, and I want to talk more about this, but I want to give an example, is that, you know, when we first saw the seven levels, hopelessness, fear, frustration, courage, engagement, innovation, and synchronicity, and they're, they're – um, exponential in nature and they're inclusive in nature they're not just six separate states they the energy they're an increase in energy ultimately and saying oh god i'm you know i'm only encouraged with my mother i'd like to be in you know oh wouldn't everybody want to be in synchronicity one of the things that ursula and i have really realized is it's not so much that you get to this place where you're just always you know in engagement, always just focusing more on what's possible than what's wrong. It's one of the hallmarks there. But it's more that you come, when something happens, you go below the line because that's normal and human. And then the gap is shorter and you go back more quickly. So I want to give an example of this because you were talking about money because this just happened. So 
Um, I am selling a house in Minnesota. We have a purchase order on the table, and it's all in alignment. And it is, um, we took some money out of the house so that we could each, my brother and I own it together. We could each do some other things. So we're kind of at the, you know, we've kind of taken out of the, taken out of the house sort of what it's worth, and everything was going to come out even, so that's fine. Except we got the septic tank inspected, and we we're told, uh-uh, you got to put a new septic system in. This is twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars, and so I went to fear, frustration, and hopelessness—kind of a big stew of all of them. Probably more fear, all of that. But what was? And you know, it's, it's a lot of money. It's ten thousand dollars that I don't have sitting in my checkbook that I really care to be giving the septic tank guy. Um, but what's <laughs> interesting? Not a septic tank. I know like it's not even a fun thing I could think of way more fun things to do with that if it was laying around which it's not so anyway here was what was really interesting like Ursula I think you know 10 years ago when we first started this I would have been gripped with a uh, physiological fear response adrenaline running through my body uh, lots and lots of mental work about oh my god and what am I going to do and this isn't fair and who can I blame and it will never work and instead I had a little bit of time where I was just like I'm really not liking this and then I woke up the next morning and I said here's I really said the gap so here's the thing the gap closes itself there's a and I'm not it's not that I had to force myself to do this the thoughts that started coming into my head were so different than 10 years ago. So the thoughts that came into my head as I was making the bed in the morning were, oh, well, the truth is I have resources and $10,000 is actually not going to have a major impact. Blessing. That's a blessing uh-huh. to be able to say that. There are people where that could be life and death. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. And then look at this. Somebody's going to get work they weren't anticipating. Company's going to make more money, probably, you know, reasonably Mm -hmm. small company in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Maybe somebody's kids will have a better Christmas. And then I had this interesting thought for a moment, for a fleeting moment. I don't live here, please. I don't claim to live here. But for a fleeting moment, I had this thought, money is energy. We're all one. This is simply energy going to someone else, some other part of me. Mm-hmm. That would not oh, that that's gap beautiful. that gap, and I mm-hmm. didn't think these things. They thought me, and ten years ago, different things would have been thinking me. You know, that's I think what you mean by felt reality. It's yeah. not that you have to force yourself or that there has to be a process. This has become a felt reality, and therefore. It's a, it doesn't it doesn't require a process. It is natural. It's a natural place. Yeah, and if you would have told me ten years ago, oh, don't worry, Anne. Ten years from now, you're not even going to care where ten thousand dollars goes, because you're going to be. <laughs> I would have been like, are you crazy? <laughs> I know. And I I'm know. not I'm saying not I don't care, I but you. <laughs> you know me, but. But I yeah. have worked on this over and over again because I didn't yeah. want to be in the grip, fear around money. It wasn't productive. It wasn't, and it was having this this um, internal stress response that that felt really bad. So I don't know, Ursula. Should we go into the next chapter of the story? Yeah, which because. Is, yeah, because you already mentioned stress response and adrenaline, so I think we we need to, um, you know, say everything. Well, not everything, but explain ourselves so that our, <laughs> you know, poor listeners are not wondering, <laughs> keep wondering, you know, what's going on. So say a little bit more about, you know, the stress response when we're below the line. Well, you know, let me go a little big picture first, and then let's let's go okay. there. So, because kind of the big picture in terms of the history of Anna and Ursula. So we were working with David Hawkins and then our own seven levels, really working on developing those. And we like to say we couldn't get arrested. We had a small, very loyal band of followers, and probably if we just stuck with it, it would have slowly increased. But it was really frustrating. We felt like we had this great model And if you believed it, you believed it. And if you didn't believe it, you didn't believe it. And it was stuck there. Mm -hmm. Um, And my my ex-husband, who could be very forthright with his communication, would say, when are you guys going to stop preaching to the choir? Which, by the way, was fair. 
but we didn't know how mm-hmm. not to. So around about, I want to say, 2010, 2011, there started, this is interesting, maybe history for everyone, especially those who are interested in neuroscience. That's when neuroscience hit. It, there started mm-hmm. becoming more and more articles about neuroscience in terms of leadership in particular, in terms of, you know, sort of your, your more typical average human, not just neuroscience trying to figure out what's happening with Alzheimer's mm-hmm. or brain damage, but mm-hmm. what, what does it mean to us ordinary folks? And mm-hmm. articles started trickling through. Um, a couple of people came to my attention. Um, Dan, Dr. Dan Siegel would be a main one. He's one of the very first articles I ever wrote. And it was bothering me. And I am not a scientist. I was a, I've, I was a philosophy major. Before that, I was in theater. I'm a poet. I have taken one science class in my life until I started studying neuroscience. But it wouldn't leave me alone. It was like that annoying little kid that wants your attention. Uh. And I, I finally just said to Ursula, I think I've got to go to, I've got to go do like a master's degree in neuroscience. Like, and I thought I was yeah. going to have to like go to the University of Minnesota and study brain anatomy because it was bothering me so much. And, what, <laughs> and Ursula famously said to me, <laughs> well, my darling, you can do that and you'll have to do it without me. <laughs> Because talk about was, you know you being a you being a philosophy major. I mean, I struggled with chemistry, chemistry and biology in in uh, in school, and you know I'm a, li- a linguist. I mean, in in you know in Europe you get divided. You have to. You know, this is kind of interesting. You know, in Europe you have to make a decision. In I had to make a decision in sixth grade whether oh. I want to be a linguist or a scientist because the high schools get divided. You either go into a linguistical high school or into a science high school. And I had such bad experiences with the whole science. I said, there's no way in mathematics. Oh, my oh. God, no. But, so, you know, I so ended when I up said, in language. Yeah. <laughs> when you said science, yeah. you know, my alarm bells went on, and I thought, you know, I'm not going back to middle school and experience that same pain again. You're on your own, darling. I know. I, was gonna, I didn't. I never realized that I'd actually traumatized you. Um, <laughs> so, so sorry. Well, and that was really interesting just, for, just to let you know about our partnership. I mean, we are really, really close. We're best friends as well as business partners. And I did not want to go down a road that was going to leave her behind. But it was so compelling. I felt like I had to go forward, even if it meant we would split up. But it just, to me, and so we went into neuroscience. I went into neuroscience with one question. How does this relate to consciousness? And David Hawkins, by the way, if you're a David Hawkins fan, he had a small diagram in a couple of his books about the brain processing differently above and below the line. And I thought there is way more. This is cool and this is really important and there's way more here. So I did, and I took the deep dive into neuroscience, and I got into it for a couple of months. Once we got past the brain anatomy, which I frankly don't think anybody really needs to waste time with, um, and got into some particular aspects of the brain, two things happened. One is it really started to become clear how, how, it, how the brain related to different levels of consciousness. And the surprising one that I didn't go looking for was oh my God, everything, and I swear to you guys, everything that they're saying in terms of how the brain responds is why coaching works. They would talk about, well, here are the strategies that diminish stress. Naming the emotion, looking to see if you can control the environment, focusing on your values, taking a different perspective, being mindful. And I'm like, oh, check, 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 check. That's everything that we've been trained in as coaches. No wonder people Uh get benefit. So Uh these strands started coming together for all of us. And, of course, I immediately got on the phone, and I would tell Ursula, guess what I just found out about the right and left hemisphere? And she's a curriculum designer by nature and talented, and she'd say, oh, I see a process. (laughs) So, (laughs) So we ended up playing with and trying all this stuff and it was so effective with our clients that we looked at each other and we said we never really saw ourselves training coaches but we have to this is way too good not to share this is so 
effective. And what was happening is it was making our journey of the seven levels quicker. So let me pause there. And Ursula, do you want to talk about that, how this impacted our own closing the gap? Yeah, I think that... uh, um well, there's there's so much. I mean, there's so much. I almost don't know what to start, how to start. But I think what happened for me is that when I realized that there were chemicals at work that impacted my my thinking, my reaction, how it felt, I had a better handle on the on the seven levels. I mean, the seven levels as a roadmap were fabulous. But with the neuroscience adding that, all of a sudden everything um, became just uh, sort of like got speeded up because I could literally see my brain working or not working. And and then, Mm. of course, we also developed Mm. tools around that. So not only did I now have the seven levels as a tool, but we had you know, 25 other tools that helped me manage my brain. And that was, I mean, talk about speeding up the process. Yeah, absolutely. So being able to see if I'm below the line, so there's a couple of impacts here. Um, one was, and then I want to tell a story, but the, the one was, you know, the whole thing about preaching to the choir, we no longer had to preach to the choir. Because this gave language and understanding to people who were more logical and linear. To be able to say that your right and left hemisphere don't work together as cooperatively the more you're below the line. And here's the evidence for that, and there is evidence for that. There's research studies that correlate to the seven levels. Um, If we say when you are in an amygdala hijack, you have chemicals that are designed to make it more easy for you to fight fight, flee, or freeze, and make it harder for you to think, have empathy, restrain yourself, make long-term plans, it starts becoming really obvious. And, and uh-huh. so people stopped arguing with us about the seven levels because we could ground them in science. And yeah, the, uh, just, I want to just... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's, no, I no, just go. wanted to say... Um, what the neuroscience did for me, it took the mystery out of my own reaction and it also took the mystery out of why people were doing the stupid things that they were doing because I could see yeah. their brains and it made me it made me more accepting and more compassionate. Yeah, and it also gave us more... Um, I also knew more easily where to go with the client and so... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I, so if a client, you know, let me, and let me just tell a story. So, I mean, and I knew where to go with myself. So let me talk about this. So one of the things that we learned early on as part of our program is we learned about the higher brain, the prefrontal cortex, which is where you're getting a lot of thoughtful ability to be very thoughtful. We'll put it that way, that it needs um, a certain amount of stress. It's like the Goldilocks of the brain. If you give it too much stress, it decompensates and can't think very well. If you give it too little, you have the same response. And I think about a time that I came back from a trip and I had to pack and be gone again in about 36 hours. And so I was really pushing myself. And I was standing in front, I was sort of like unpacking from one suitcase into another and trying to figure out what I was doing. And I'm standing in front of my suitcase and this was, a, by the way, this was a, I was just full. I had been on a, I'd been in um, Spain and France and England. And I'd been having a blast, but it was just a lot of um, just stimulation, not stressful, uh-huh. but a lot coming in. So there I am, I'm standing in front of my suitcase and I can't even decide what socks I need. I really can't. I really uh-huh. can't make that decision. Now, uh-huh. before understanding neuroscience, I would have said to myself, you go, girl, you better freaking pack your socks. Come on. You gotta, you know, you've got a bunch of stuff to do tomorrow. Uh-huh. And you need to get packed and what's wrong with you? But because I understood neuroscience, I knew that my prefrontal cortex decision-making was overloaded. And it was just, you know, the circuits were going to fry. And uh-huh. I was better off not doing anything because then – 
in the morning when I packed, I could probably get it done in a third the time. So I went to bed, uh-huh. watched Netflix, let my brain uh-huh. recover. And then the morning packed it. So it made me much more effective and happier about everything I'm doing that I now understand that part of me and how to manage it. And that's just a minor example. And there's, you know, I think Ursula and I have hundreds, not thousands of others. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I, I, I totally agree. Um, one of the things that uh, I find knowing, you know, how my brain works and, um, as, you know, I, I love the Goldilocks uh, process and our tool. Um, what it has helped me with myself as well as with other people and my clients, it sort of normalized where I am. Instead, mm. I mean, I used to give myself such a hard time for, you know, oh, you know, why can't you do more? And, you know, why can't you work harder? And, you know, you know I mean, those people that know me, then they know there's probably nobody on the planet that, that works harder <laughs> and is more focused than I am. You know, I, I right. can cram into the day all kinds of things. And then when my brain would get overloaded, I would give myself such a hard time not being able to do mm. more. Well, that all, that all vanished. You know, I realized yeah. this was just my brain. It were, these were the chemicals, and I needed to take a break. And that permission, that kindness to myself, has really, um, I think, it's made me a nicer, <laughs> made me a nicer person to live with as well. Well, you know, I was going to say that because I think before I understood that I can only take so much stress, and what I can take is what I can take. Others might be able to take more. I got what I got. Before that, I would sort of let things pile on and then blow up. And, yes. and really, not, not because I hated anybody or was even mad at them, but because my circuits were overloaded and I would react. Yep. And now yep. what I understand is if I don't take some time for myself, if I don't decompress, I'm going to say something I don't mean and I might hurt someone that I love. And mm-hmm. I think that's what you're really saying. So in terms of... Now I know my kind of early warning signs. We call them ooze, like ooze. I'm about to lose it. <laughs> yeah. And instead of letting myself go to probably frustration below the line, I stop. I take some time. I look to see what I need, and then I can be, you know, a better partner, a better human because I'm not reacting. I've cut that off before it even happened. And that is a higher state. That's the gap. That's closing that gap. And I also know that sometimes I don't close the gap. I get overstressed. I can't manage it. I'm not aware that the stress is building up. I do lose it. But then I can be aware, okay, that happened. I was overloaded, and I need to be responsible for it, and I need to come back with my higher brain, not blame someone else, and apologize for reacting. Uh-huh. And you know, all of that is the same. Maybe a nicer person. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Well, and you know, I want to uh, sort of bring in our the the example of our partnership. I mean, we have we have walked those. You know, we've looked at the seven levels. We've worked with that, and then we you know added all the tools from the neuroscience program and used them with each other. And we've got this common language that even in stressful situations, has helped us to be more open, um, be kinder, uh, and be more effective. I mean, the way we run this business of ours, with just you and I and two, you know, very part-time helpers, is really is, is astonishing. And I really credit our work to that ability to make stuff happen in the world without getting completely, you know, feeling like it's insanity. Yeah. And I think, I think it's because we understand how to, uh, this one's really, you know, business-like, but how to optimize our brains. And I think about, you know, one of the really, there's just been some, some people that we have such respect for and have been really, really critical to, the, what we've created, um, David Hawkins. Um, another one is Dan Siegel. 
And we studied mm. with Dan Siegel for about a year. We did one of his last classes that was, it was a, a, a virtual class, but we had access to him. He taught it live. I think it's one of his last live, live virtual classes, um, at least at the time. Um, really, really good. And what we really got out of working with Dan Siegel and studying his work pretty in depth is this idea of integration. And integration, which he defines as the linkage of differentiated elements. So in other words, integration means that things are both separate and linked. And if you've ever heard either one of us talk or spend any time with us, you know every other word we have is integration. Because what we really, well, what we really saw is that as we go up in the levels, what you are looking at is various aspects of the brain and being become more integrated. And as you go down, they become disintegrated. And so when you talk about how we run our business, I think about, you know, there's integration between the emotional reactive center, which also has information, and the logical, rational, you know, prefrontal cortex, um, and there's an integration there. So we pay a lot of attention to how do we feel and what do we think. We also uh-huh. have the right and left hemisphere, looking at the whole and looking at the parts. And I think we're always trying to, you know, be aware of both what's the big picture, what do we really want, where are we going, as well as what are the strategies and tactics and, you know, granularity that we need in order to get us there. And we're, uh, we've we've be, we've constantly thought about and think about where am I and have I calibrated in any way too far to one side and in in if I have mm-hmm. if I've calibrated too far to granularity then I need to lean to maybe the big picture or our values or what's the purpose of this if I've calibrated too far to that then maybe I actually need to make a plan um, mm-hmm. so we're constantly in this sort of as we work together, I think of like a gyroscope looking for a place of not stable, rigid center, but being able to really move and flex and keep discovering new edges of this kind of integration because that we haven't seen anything else that feels as powerful or pertinent to being at higher levels of consciousness. Mm-hmm. And uh, because we we have this language and we have this we have learned this together, we also help each other be yes. more integrated. I mean, you know, when I am in the in the place of rigidity, and it's like, no, I'm not doing that. And you, you know, and be, <laughs> and because you, you I just, can I just she does yeah. this very often. She used to do it. It's, it's rare, but occasionally Ursula said, "Well, we're not doing that." And I just, you know, <laughs> I have just so learned that's just a little bit of rigidity, maybe a little left hemisphere. I'm just going to wait and see if she really means it, and maybe she does, and I need to honor that. But I just now, I just think it's funny. <laughs> it doesn't trigger me at all because <laughs> I just think that's yeah. fine. Rigidity had its voice. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and because because we know about the brain, we know about the seven levels, we know, you know how I speak from which level, you know when I'm, you know, over one side versus the other, and rather than, you know, reacting to each other's, you know, disintegration, now how, however brief it might be, we know what's going on in the brain, and therefore you help me, you know, when I say, oh, yeah. we're not doing that. You say, well, you know, let's look at the bigger picture. And that gets me out of this narrow space of, well, <laughs> no, I'm, what I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Well, what is the bigger picture? And wouldn't it be lovely? And you paint these beautiful pictures of, you know, exciting adventures. And, you know, in my own brain, I go, oh, excuse my French. I, I go, oh, shit. She has me. She has me. Look at colorful <laughs> pictures. And <laughs> so, you know, resistance is futile. Um, but I yeah. think that's a really but, important. That's Im- that's really important. I mean, we help each other be yes. more on a, on an even keel, and that I think you know that's just such a gift. I mean, I really, yeah, absolutely. And I also think you know, I think the other thing, and I think more and more, both of us tend to 
hold both more effectively. But I think about, you know, times in the past where I would get all excited about some dream and you would help me say, well, honey, let's run the numbers on that. It's a great dream, Uh but let's really look at what the numbers are. And, you know, and I actually have a peculiar affinity for spreadsheets. So usually I would go do the spreadsheet and then I would think, oh, okay, well, we can't do, okay, that's good. We can't do it that way or we need to do it this way or we need what, oh, maybe need to push it out a little bit because we would need more enrollment. So, you know, really looking at the dream ungrounded is not very useful, um, but just the grounding without the dream isn't either. So you're right. There's just such a beautiful balance. And, you know, um, I want to say something about that. Maybe this is sort of the last thing. People have said to us over the years, which is beautiful, it's really like you're so lucky to have each other. And, oh, Anne, where do I find my Ursula? And, oh, Ursula, where do I find my Anne? And, you know, and, and um, there's two things to that. One is we really were lucky to find each other. It is the biggest yeah. blessing of my life. I have learned so much yeah. about love and compassion and patience from this woman. But the other is we grew it. You know, we have spent... We we have spent weeks trying to calm each, calm ourselves down enough so that we could talk to each other again because uh-huh. things got triggered. We have had to figure out our roles. We have had to have difficult, tearful conversations with each other. Uh-huh. It has it is a it is like a good marriage, and it has taken that much work. Yes, it has. And it still does. I mean, it's, it doesn't stop. Yes. I mean, the work continues. The only thing that I, I know, it's just become easier. Uh, and I think that has something to do with shortening the gap and uh, also this knowledge that we are both, uh, our brains are just far more integrated and we are more more reasonable with, with one another and with, with ourselves. I mean, yeah. I really... I really can see the difference um, of, you know, let's say 15 years ago to now um, where, the, where the, I, it felt like we were both doing a lot more work um, with each other and also separately. I mean, I I yeah. remember the, the times when I, you know, talk about Dan Siegel's, you know, um, uh, integration is the linkage of differentiated uh, parts. I mean, I had to really work on, you know, that is my difference and be okay with it and constantly work on the differentiation without getting triggered and, and being triggered and having to recover and being triggered some more yeah. and having to recover. And that that is that has all become so much easier um, in the last you know in the last couple of years, and I think that is the benefit of putting in so many hours and so many miles. <laughs> yeah, and having and I think really you know as you said the neuroscience gave us we were talking about this analogy earlier and I said the neuroscience if you go to any airport any major airport now, I saw this actually even more in Europe when I was there recently. All the like security people and people like that are zooming around on either little electric scooters or like segways. You know, they're just zooming around the airport. And I think, oh, that's what neuroscience did for us. It enabled us to get to the other gate more quickly. And that's the benefit. I think that's really the benefit. But Mm -hmm. just even having a commitment to consciousness, I want to share one last story. And then we'll tell you kind of what's what we've got going on at the above. But Years and years ago, before we knew anything about neuroscience, we're just working with the seven levels. We were at a small retreat center in um, somewhere in southern Minnesota, in a rural, in kind of a rural area. And Ursula left her bag to in the in the training room to go have breakfast, which is something we did all the time. She came back and her bag was gone with her computer, not your purse. I think I think it was just your computer. No, the purse and, I had with um, me, yeah. Yeah, luckily the purse was with you, but it was a it, it was it it was really traumatic and traumatizing, and we dealt with all of that in the police. And then we drove home, and we had about an hour hour and a half drive home, and and then we looked at each other, and Ursula said, "Well, let's see if the seven levels work." And we and we drove home, and I pulled out the seven levels, and I said, "Okay, what's hopeless?" What are you afraid of? All, what are you frustrated by? Where do you feel courageous? 
Where do you feel engagement? What's innovation here? And ultimately, what's synchronicity? And by the time we got home, you weren't happy that you lost your computer, but you were at a level of acceptance that I do not think would have been at all possible had we not had that half-hour conversation where you were totally and completely honest but willing to be curious about your own process. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I totally agree. And you know what? The, uh, that process to this day still works for me on a daily basis and I have I have as you know in the last three months I have had plenty of opportunity to yes. to use the seven levels um, yeah no I, I couldn't have done it uh, I would have been in the place of shame and anger probably for weeks because I mean my yeah. whole life was in that computer you know now it was gone and of course I was stupid enough not to have it backed up so I mean it was a disaster <laughs> Yeah, and in, and so that happens, and it's just this great example of life happens, and shit uh-huh. happens, and being able to then come back to this from a place that we now know we didn't know at the time, if she had stayed in shame and anger, she would have had chemicals flooding through her body and brain that may, would have made it very difficult to find good solutions. But because she was able to be in a more above-the-line state, you were just able to deal with it, and that's what we mean by higher levels of effectiveness of consciousness are just more effective. Yes. So, yeah, so well, what are we up to? Things, tons of, tons yeah, of we got some good shit going on. We, we are doing a, uh, a really wonderful webinar. This is, by the way, this one's for coaches. So let's talk about that first. It's coming up. You will have the chance to do it live, and it will also be for sale um, as well after we do it. I'm just looking it up here to make sure I get all of that. It starts February 19th. It's going to be eight sessions. We're going to be looking at some of the basics of our neuroscience and consciousness and transformational coaching program. You're going to get four really good tools and a lot of awareness about how the brain works and what's going on with your clients. So if you go to our website, um, it's under virtual programs. The, the other thing that we're doing is for the general public, and it is, um, I'll give you the dates. Ursula, do you want to talk about our three-and-a-half-day personal transformation program? Uh, I well, I certainly can. Um, we don't have any information on the website as yet. I don't think. Well, it's not yet on we... the website. It's it's not okay. on the website. It is scheduled. So this is just a little teaser. Please come back to the website in a month or so, and it will be out there. And I can give you the dates, but we don't have any other info. But what are we up to? What do we mean, personal transformation? Well, I think we um, we. We basically talked and said we really want to go back to our roots, the the deep passion for personal and uh, you know for personal transformation. This is where we started. It's just now we have even more information, and um, you know because of the neuroscience. So we've decided to do a three-day personal transformation program. And um, really, what my what our vision is for this that that every, anyone who is really curious and interested and passionate about their own personal transformation, they don't have, you don't have to be a coach. You just have to be curious about transformation would be um, invited. And um, I think this will be a very impactful three days, no matter what your topic. So for example, if I were struggling, and go back to money because that was my struggle 15 years ago, if I would see that my struggle with money being in fear and frustration and not having the results that I really want, if that were if that were a topic, that is something I would want to do. So that is our personal transformation program. Beautiful. So we are really looking at whatever you are 
um, wanting to be at a different level of effectiveness or multiple things. Maybe you're just saying, in general, I feel like I'm encouraged. I'd like to be more in engagement and innovation, or I feel like this area of my life, I'm really in fear. This is about shifting things. And it's just one tweak. It's, three in, it's sort of three days in an evening. So we're starting Wednesday night, the 24th. And we're going through Saturday the 27th, and it will be in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And again, check back on our website if you think this might be right for you. You are going to get a ton of awareness, insight, breakthroughs, as well as tools that you then can use in an ongoing way with yourself at home. And that and yeah. the, they'll be really practical. And this is stuff Ursula and I have been doing for years. So think about yeah. that. Um, the last thing I want to say is that Ursula and I both have room in our private coaching practice. So if you're interested in that, Anne at BeAboveLeadership.com or Ursula at BeAboveLeadership.com if you'd like some personal coaching to become more integrated or have breakthroughs, just reach out to us. I think that's it. What a great yes. conversation today, Ursula. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, and thanks, everybody, for listening. And if you need information, get in touch with us or visit our website. Okay, sweetie, have a good day. Everybody, have a you good too. day and a good week. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone.